from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 204. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander, Pingdom, and Green Chef. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Welcome back, Mike Hurley. Yes. Although you were here last week. Yes. Through the miracle of recording technology. Yeah, I, I guess for, for, you know, people were saying to me after last week's episode, oh, it's great to hear you back again. Even though for Upgrade listeners, I was only gone for one episode, which is kind of funny. Um, but I have been gone from everything else. Basically, all of my other shows since the beginning of July, um, I popped in for that one episode of Upgrade on July 10th, which now feels like a dream to me. Like, it, like, mm-hmm. like I'm not actually sure it ever really happened. Um, because I was in a little bit of a wording whirlwind. And I just, a couple of days ago, got back from my honeymoon in Hawaii. Um, and I'm feeling good. I'm happy to be here. But right now, nobody cares about that, Jason Snell, because it's true, time but okay. for our hashtag Snell Talk question. Today's question comes from Tom, and Tom wants to know, macOS trackpad scroll direction, natural? Do you use tap to click? We want to know about your trackpad habits here, Jason. Oh, boy. Oh, are you going to out yourself as like a, a non-natural scrolling person or something? Well, I'm trying to remember. So which one is is natural, the one they changed it to or they natural changed it from? Natural is like the iPhone. So it's what they changed it to. I think that was why they yes. called it natural because it's like all of the touchscreen devices, right? Like There's nothing more the natural than an iPhone. <laughs> you can go to Whole Foods and get like an organic yeah, natural, natural iPhone. Yeah, natural grown from Trader Joe's or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Trader Joe's, good reference there. It sounds Thank like you. somebody's been in California. Um, <laughs> the answer is, uh, yes, natural. I, I adopted very oh, quickly yeah. to natural. And in fact, I was using a laptop the other day. God, who was it? And I was appalled because yes. it went the wrong direction. Yep. I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. I push my finger up and the mouse goes down. No, no, no. So I, I adopted the uh, I, I adopted natural scrolling very quickly and would never go back. Um, and uh, yeah, and in terms of tap to click, because he also Tom also asked, do I do tap to click? Um, no, absolutely not. Oh. I am an absolutist. I t- mm. I do not tap to click. I click to click because no, no, no. I don't know if you can say you're an absolutist. I think an absolutist wouldn't use natural scrolling. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a natural scroller, but I'm a tap to click absolutist. I'm not a tap to click wizard. I'm a tap to click. That's a reference. Mm-hmm. Absolutist. Um, I I it's too um, too many false clicks when you mm. do that. Like mm. I, I I for whatever reason, apparently my finger you know comes up and down on the little trackpad surface or whatever enough. And I use a magic trackpad at my at my desk, so I'm using trackpad all the time. I used to use a trackball back in the day for a very long time. And then when the magic trackpad came out, I, I realized that um, it had benefits. I'd gotten used to the trackpad on laptops to the point where like, and the, and the gestures are very similar uh, on a trackpad and a trackball, right? That's the idea. They're very, they're very similar. Um, and uh, that was enough to get me over, and so now I've been on a trackpad ever since, and to this day, I'm using a magic trackpad right now. I'm a natural scroller and a tap-to-clicker, but I, oh, use, I use both methods of clicking. Sometimes I tap, and sometimes I, I give it a force press, because there's no actual clicking happening anymore, you know? Um, sure. So, uh, you know, if you think about it, Jason, we're all tap-to-clicking, if you really think about it, you know? No, no. Think about it. Nothing's, just, nothing's moving no. anymore. 
So we're yeah, all, the vib- you know. Yeah, the little vibrating thing moves when you put pressure on no, it, but, but if you just lay your down. finger on it. Nothing's mm. going down. There's no I, actual click happening. You're just, you're a push-to-click person now. Are you a tap-to-click truther? Is that what you are now? Are you spreading yes. the, it's push the disinformation to, to everyone? When you think Squish. about it, man, we are all tap-to-click wizards if you think now. About wow. It, if you really think about it. No. Yeah, I've been on, no. I've been on a vision quest these I past it. three weeks, and I've, I've come oh back to, to, to talk about the good news of push-to-click. I do have uh, silent clicking turned on, by the way, because I do podcasts, and the last thing I need is for my magic trackpad to uh, make an artificial That's clicking That's exactly why you it. should be tapping, because then, no. you know, no noise. Anyway. No, but I can't. But I can't, anyway. because I miss, ta- I miss tap, and I miss click when I use tap to click. I, I The way my hand rests on the trackpad, I can't use tap to click. It gets uh, too many mistaken taps. I, I feel like I'm turning into John Syracuse before your eyes here, other than the fact are. that I'm doing natural scrolling. I don't think he does natural scrolling. No, he doesn't. I, they, I think him and Marco spoke about this on an episode of ATP recently. And if I'm remembering correctly, I apologize for any slander. They use the old scrolling method. like Unnatural you know, scrolling. Just, I can't understand. I just don't understand how somebody could use an iOS device and then use scrolling in that way. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I know. And I know, I totally understand the idea that, oh, I've been doing this for years and years on laptops. I get it. But I really feel like that that iOS devices completely broke that for me. I like the uh, passive-aggressive nature of the trackpad uh, control panel, uh, system preferences pane, where it is very specifically referred to as natural scrolling. Um... And so, in order to scroll the other way, you have to say, opt me out of what nature intended. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be unnatural. I want to do it the wrong way. Give me that unnatural way. I really enjoy that, that Apple was like, you could do the right way, or you can uncheck this box. It's your choice. And do it the wrong way. At least they give you the choice, but they're not going to, they're going to, before you can uncheck that box, they got to remind you, you're doing it wrong. I love it. Love it. All right, so thank you. We've outraged everyone. So, I, I'm terrified. <laughs> Welcome back. Summer of fun! Uh, I'm terrified for the response <laughs> to this snail talk question. Tom, uh, I guess thank you for what you've done uh, in recommending <laughs> this this topic. If you would like to have us start the show in, in, in either an outrageous or an outrageous fashion, you can send a tweet with the hashtag snail talk. Um, and we'll pick one up for a future episode. You gave the call, the summer of fun signal. We are still in the summer of fun. Because I wasn't going to miss summer it all. Fun. I wasn't going to miss it all. This still fun. No. We're still in the fun. You were having fun without upgrade yes. there for a while. I was listening to the show, though. It took me a very long time uh, to listen to them. Maybe about, it, I think it took me a week to listen to, to the episode that you did with Stephen, which I enjoyed greatly. Um, we do have a little bit of follow-up on that in a moment. I... Um, actually, we may as well do that now. Uh my understanding is people were outraged at the both of you uh, for not picking OS ten Tiger uh, in your OS ten draft. Yeah, um, that was the one I got more than any other comment about that was I can't believe. And re- by the way, every time you do a draft of anything or a list of anything in a podcast, the first response oh, yeah, you yeah. get is, "Can't believe I you, can't yeah. believe you can't didn't believe. mention." And and I kind of <laughs> did the OS ten draft thinking. I, I want to see what happens. <laughs> and sure enough, people outrage. are like, I can't believe can't you believe didn't pick it. Tiger. Arr. Tiger was the one that kept coming up. I just can't believe it. How could you, how could you pick six versions of OS I want to make out of Jason, 13 and not I'm, pick I'm going to decide right now to make the Upgradians out there very happy. Because if I would have been on that episode, it would have been my number one draft pick. <sighs> because Tiger was my first version of OS X. Because I bought the Intel iMac. That was my first Mac. And that shipped to Tiger. So, 
mm-hmm. I would have picked Tiger. Okay, well, I guess you get it then. Yeah, that's my that's my <laughs> you draft. You get a pick. supplemental pick. Nobody yep. nobody should even ask now because no, because I, I just picked winner. it. It's done. It's fine. I yeah. get the one pick. The one pick. Uh, so more um, summer of fun. I had a great time in Hawaii, but I was also in San Francisco on either sides of the trip because it is almost sadistic to try and get to Hawaii directly from London because it's yeah. something like 20, 23 hours, including a layover, but you're also going um, 11 hours behind in time zones. So we decided that we would probably end up wasting the first two days of our trip if we did that, which we were not keen to do. So we flew to San Francisco and then from San Francisco took the six hour flight um, out to Hawaii. But we spent a couple of days in San Francisco on either side. And one of them was uh, me and Adina traveled to the snow zone and uh, we spent some time with the snow family. You showed me a couple of things. One was HomePod stereo um, which I was very impressed with because I hadn't heard a stereo paired HomePod, and I, I like that very much. Um, and also your Sonos working with uh, AirPlay 2. So I was very impressed with all of that. And I did have that moment where I was like, hmm, shall I get a second HomePod? And then realized, no, no, I will not get a second <laughs> HomePod. Because even though it does sound, I know people have said this, and you said this, I heard so many people say, oh, it's so much better in stereo. I'm like, oh, really? How much better can it actually be? Um, a lot better. It sounds a lot better. We listened to some Arctic Monkeys songs and stuff, and it they. I was really surprised. It honestly sounded like I was wearing headphones. Like I was very surprised um, with the stereo kind of separation that that they're doing with the HomePods. But yeah, but then I realized very quickly that I seldom listen to music on the HomePod anyway, just because we don't we don't really have music on in the house when we're doing things. If we're doing things, you know, like we're cleaning up or whatever, and you know, where there's no other media playing, me and Adina will listen to podcasts typically. So um, it is very rare that we kind of just have music on like that, which is why I wouldn't get one. But if I was a person who liked the HomePod and enjoyed music and having it sound good and listening to it all the time, I would totally want to invest in the second one. It's expensive, yeah. but the difference is stellar. Yeah, it makes it makes a huge difference and uh, helps fill the room. And I have a, a Sonos Play Five, right? Like you mentioned, and uh, but it's like boombox shape, mm-hmm. and so it's not really doing se- stereo separation. And you've got to have a huge space yep. to lay that thing down on. And with the two HomePods in my living room, you know, I've got one on my end table and one on my piano, and so they're kind of bracketing the room, mm-hmm. and they fill it. And it, it's one of those things where I've got. You know, like I have a Sonos, um, I forget what it's called, but it's the one that you attach to an amplifier and run it through regular speakers. It's, okay. It's not the amp, it's, but it's... It's, it's before it, they gave them the play names, right? Yeah, it's an older one. Yeah. And, it do, and it doesn't get airplay or anything like yeah. that. It's just there. But um, but it was it was one of those things where I was like, well, I, I had a squeeze box, and that was you attach it to your stereo, and then it plays the music through your, your stereo on your stereo speakers, and you've got, yay, digital music on on your stereo who what what could be better mm-hmm. um except i realize now that um the i, I wouldn't need it <laughs> like like it's it's a uh, the connect is the name of it oh, um and it uh like i can't remember the last time i played music through that through my speaker so my speakers are all for like home theater for the tv and we're getting a new TV, which is that's for next week. We'll follow up next week about that. But um, I, as a part of that, I disconnected my whole sort of home theater system, and I'm going to reconnect it when the new TV gets here. And I was listening to uh, TV through my TV's speakers for the first time, and it, it was that moment of truth of like I spent all this money and time doing this, 
it's going to be really embarrassing if this TV sounds great. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. It sounds terrible. <laughs> I was yep. like, yeah, TV speakers sound terrible. All right, I win. But for me, for the music side of it, like it's at this point, I just I don't use those speakers, even though they sound great because the HomePod sounds great, too. Um, so it, it would have changed my priorities in that way. It's still, yeah, it's still really expensive. And I, I don't think I would recommend that everybody rush out and buy two HomePods just to get it because that's a lot of money. I'm hopeful that maybe Apple will realize that some of the resistance to the HomePod is the pricing and that I'm not sure they should, I mean, it would be nice if they cut the HomePod price a little bit, but what I really think they should do to get these things to sell well at the holidays is, uh, sell a two pack. Like sell sell them yep. for a discount yep. 600 for if two. you buy two, yeah, because that that would be a really nice and the flexibility of like I said of having them in different places in a room and stereo pairing them uh, and and then yeah also speaking of home theater like if you are an Apple TV person if you're a cord cutter with an Apple TV you can just make them your speakers and that works I did that yesterday too huh. and my all of a sudden the audio is just coming out of my. Um, my AirPods and the lag my, is okay. My AirPods, my HomePods. Like there isn't. A... Yeah, there's no lag. Okay. It's AirPlay two, and it's synced with a video, and it's perfect. It's amazing. Even third so, party apps like YouTube yeah, and stuff. I mean, oh man. Yeah, because it's all just going through the system. So mm-hmm. that that's an interesting thing where you can kind of give yourself if if everything is going through the Apple TV, that's the catch. And for mine, it isn't. I have a bunch of other stuff too. But if everything's just going through the Apple TV, it will also work that way using AirPlay two. It'll just play straight to them. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. Anyway, that's really good. So, headline is HomePod more interesting than previously thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- I mean, isn't that the story of the device since it came out? Right? Like it feels like it's never well, it's never where it needs to be. Just continues to get more interesting over time. And then yeah, hopefully well, at, at least some they're point, making it more interesting. <laughs> that's true. They haven't just left it. So, yeah, I had a great 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 trip. Um I had a lot of help from people while I was away, so thank you to everyone who's helped, uh, especially Steven who helped out a bunch. He was even on Upgrade for the very first time as for just, first just, time, just yeah. the host, right? We He's been fun. on as a guest in the, in the past, but yeah. Um, I'm going to address the, the, the sheer imbalance of Macintosh discussion later on <laughs> in the episode. Um, mm-hmm. And also a, a huge thank you to Federico Vatici and Serenity Caldwell for their uh, iPad episode. And you know, in case you haven't, we did, th- 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 that episode was recorded in advance. Um, and in case you've missed it, uh, Serenity has actually got a job at Apple now. Um, so congratulations to Ren. Um, and I guess if you enjoy Ren on Tech Podcasts, treasure that iPad episode because I, 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 I'm pretty sure she will be on some incomparable shows. I would like to hope so. Yeah. But I, I don't yeah. expect we're going to hear her on uh, any technology shows for the time being. Yeah, there are a bunch of um, Apple employees actually who have appeared on incomparable podcasts uh, <laughs> over the years. <laughs> There, no, and, and it's like no, well, no, we don't no. talk about them being Apple employees, but they're you know completely outside of the mm-hmm. uh, technology realm. It's not it's not disallowed, and so if they're talking about a TV show or they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, it's okay. And so I would anticipate that schedule permitting, you know, which is because she's a very busy person and she will continue to be at Apple and she's got so many other interests that we'll get her on the incomparable and total party kill. Um, we already have some plans afoot there, but on the tech side, yeah, in terms of. Uh, you know, external tech podcasting, um, that may be uh, a door that is closed until perhaps one day in the future. If mm-hmm. she ever were to leave Apple, then she would kind of reemerge. But maybe, you know, uh, she's she on could, the inside uh, now. She could get the approval at some point to make a special you know, guest appearance. You never know. W- wouldn't that be nice? That would, would be great. That. I uh, I look forward to that. So I miss her already. 
Oh, I actually have another piece of follow-up. You mentioned Federico. And the sequence, if you listen to everything sequentially, you may have thought um, that I was on Canvas with Federico last week, uh, which we didn't mention when we did the big iPad special because we recorded that a month in advance. <laughs> uh, but if you missed it, I was on, on uh, Canvas with Federico. And it's mostly Federico. I, I'm in there every now and then reading an ad and commenting on something, and I got to talk to him a little bit. But it's fun. We got to talk about the iPad a lot on uh, Canvas last week because Fraser wasn't on that episode. And um, so we got to s- spend time talking about iPad, keyboards, and all sorts of other stuff. iOS 12. And shortcuts as well, right? It was a big. Yeah, big yeah, we did a lot of that. That, uh, yeah, I think it was primarily Siri shortcuts, which I've been I've been using a lot mm. and uh, have done a lot of uh, big things with. So, oh, we're gonna have to check in some of that soon, I think. Mm. I haven't had the full amount of time to play with it as I would want to, but I'm I keep digging into it. I keep poking around. Um, yeah. But this does lead us to a little bit of follow-up in regards to the iPad episode. Um, I do not recall, I didn't write down who sent this in, so I apologize. But we got sent a link to a couple of uh, different tablet stands, right? Like iPad stands. And there was one of them that was seemed interesting to me. It's called the Tabitha. It's made by a company called Colebrook Boston Saunders, who I have no idea who they are. But I poked around their website, and it looks like they mostly create... Um, stands and arms for monitors for big companies. It looks like what they do. You know, like you go to them and you buy like 40 monitor arms and they in the, to get installed into your new office. But they make this this freestanding tablet mount, which looked really interesting to me. Um, I There's not as much information uh, on the website as I would like, but it does say it has three adjustable lockable arms and it looks like it can extend to higher than the stand that we're currently using. What is the name of that thing again? Oh. The the oh. Jason Snell method it stand. It, it doesn't have a good name is the problem. Um, it is the uh, Viozon yes. iPad Pro stand. The Viozon, mm, Viozon uh, stand. So um, I, I basically I'm telling you this because I'm going to report back because I have purchased one of these because it does look like what I want out of a stand. The thing that I'm not sure about is how weighted the foot is because that's important to have some weight so you can tap the screen, especially if it's tall. Yes. So this is what I'm keen to find out. So I have gone ahead and purchased one of these. It wasn't that much. It was like 60 pounds. So it wasn't like an incredible investment. Um, and obviously I'm free to return if it doesn't fit the bill, but I'm looking at it and I have my fingers crossed that this is going to be the kind of thing that I was looking for. Um, but we'll, we will see. Yeah, I have some... Uh, I, I looked at that one and I was skeptical because it... it I'm concerned, yeah, that the base isn't weighty enough mm-hmm. and it's going to tip. Mm-hmm. And it really does. When you're reaching up and touching the screen, you need some level of stability, yep. especially on the 12.9. Um, and uh, a listener, Logan, sent in a different one, which is uh, from Above Tech, which um, is a, there's like a tablet holder and then you get the 12.9. Lar- you, you have to buy like a larger bracket to, to pop it on. But it's... it's uh, um, also fairly cheap. I think it's I think it's less than fifty bucks. Yeah, I looked at that one. It doesn't seem to solve my problem, which is height. It looks like if if anything, it actually is even smaller than the uh the the Viazon. Yeah, and, yeah, and this is the this is the issue is if you want height, you now are dealing with the physics of having the base be stable. Um also um a listener uh Martina wrote in about how like Ergotron 
which is a company that I've used their stands before. They make they apparently make a, an iPad, uh, you know, clamping ar- clamping arm thing, you know, that you clamp it on a desk. And then I mentioned that in passing last week. And they do. There are some out there of these kind of things. If you want to permanently attach kind of an arm to a desk and then pop an iPad into it, some of them they require like a custom case on your iPad, and then you put that in, which yeah, I don't like. Logo. Um, but if it's something that's got a clamp, so there are some out there like that for my use, I'm not at the point where I want to permanently affix an arm on my desk for an iPad. Same. Um, maybe the time will come, but I'm not there yet, but i um, having a stand. I would it, let me know how that other one goes because the, the, I like, I really like the Viazon stand because it is well-made and it's got the clamp. Uh, so it works with different sized iPads, but it is a little bit short. And I know why it's short, right? Because the higher it gets, the harder it is to keep that thing stable. But um, So let me know. Report back. Yeah, the Ergotron, Marco recommended that to me because he knows their products are good. But my, They are good. But the thing is, I use this all over the house. Right, like exactly I, right. I'm not. I don't want to just to fix it to some single place. I want to be able exactly. to, to kind of move it around a bit. So right, if you were if you're we'll making a, a an iPad desk, right, mm-hmm. it would be a good idea. Hundred percent. That's what I would go with. I, 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 that that would make perfect sense because then I could have way more flexibility with it. Right, like how you do with your um, what's it called arm? Um, what are they called? Phaser mount yeah right yeah but uh yeah i'm not not looking to do that so but there you go there's some still some good options and i'll report back um before we take our first break i guess it's worth as a programming note uh the apple results are tomorrow um right i mean so so much going on with you and me we're not going to talk about like well what will they be which we sometimes mm -hmm. do but there will be apple quarterly uh, financial results tomorrow which means that we'll find out like the profit and how many ipads sold and all of that and then we'll you know undoubtedly we will break that down a little bit on next week's upgrade. Um, I wanted to mention it now just to alert people that that'll be happening. I'll be making my charts and doing coverage of it. And you can go to sixcolors.com to find that tomorrow. It's afternoon Pacific time. Yeah, the results usually come out around uh, 1.30 Pacific. Um, and there's a phone call with analysts at about 2 Pacific usually. And that is always good. Tim Cook, Cook is always good for a quote and uh, trying to dodge questions from analysts. And that's all good stuff. And then the other thing to note is that, and I wrote about this on Six Colors, I built this, I mentioned earlier I was using shortcuts. Um, I built uh, automation for my charts because my charts up to now, and there's like 20 charts I do every quarter, um, the way they get on the web is that I take screenshots of each chart and then upload them to my website right. in numbers, which is not great. So I have a new, um, a new system for... Uh, doing my charts that is automated. And the fun thing is that I built it for the Mac and it uses Automator and it works great. And I got some help from a bunch of people to do it, from Sal Sagoian and from Dr. Drang. And then um, I was trying to figure out how you could do it in iOS and I got some help from uh, Rosemary Orchard and from Federico. And I also built it for iOS. And that was a little trickier, but it works in shortcuts to do the same thing where basically... I press a button and this automation runs and the output is a couple of dozen ping files uploaded to my server with all the charts in it, which is amazing. So we'll we'll see how it goes tomorrow. It was fun to watch this kind of uh, unfold online as well as people were all jumping in to help out. I, I thought that was really fun. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, can it do this? And the answer was no. You know, like bad news is there are a lot of things that would seem 
obvious that it couldn't be done. But in the end, what you do is you print out a PDF, convert that into an image, and then just kind of carve that image up into little little images. And uh, that actually works, believe it or not. So you'll be covering the results tomorrow as normal over at sixcolors.com, right? And then maybe maybe yeah. depending on what happens, we might we might get to some discussion on it next week. Uh, yeah, I, we'll I think there'll, there'll be something to pick out of yeah. there about like iPad sales figures or uh, if, if Tim iPhone. Cook says hints at something or yeah, mm-hmm. how the iPhone is doing. Well, we'll it's, it's, you know, we're going, we're rolling into the, the big holiday quarter uh, when everything happens. And so this is sort of the less interesting part of Apple's year right now, but still there might be. Which reflects technology news, hence the creation of the summer of fun. That's right. right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the cycle. Although today we have so much more to get so to. So much. Uh, I'm just so excited to be back, I think, honestly. Um, I mm. really am. I'm very, very excited about today's episode. So we should take our first break and talk about Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander multiplies your team's productivity. It makes up-to-date shared knowledge available to everyone instantly with just a couple of taps on a keyboard. Using Text Expander, all of your team's common responses are accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. They are written and edited by your best writers and shared with everybody else. Available on multiple platforms, including macOS, iOS, Windows, and the web, and updated immediately everywhere when there's any modifications made. If you're on a team, Text Expander will change your working life and leave more time for what you do best. Plus, for larger teams, Text Expander supports single sign-on and grouping accounts as well. This includes identity providers like Okta, OneLogin, and G Suite. I love those things. It's like, doesn't Okta and OneLogin, I have no, other, no idea what they are, but I know there are people out there like, oh my god, yes, I can get it now. So this reduces the time it takes to onboard large numbers of users as part of big teams. Now, I use Text Expander for teams. Teams. I mean, admittedly, it's much smaller teams, three of us. But when we're working on stuff and me and Stephen and Kerry are working on stuff together and one of us is updating something, it changes everything. So, for example, we have a filing system which we file our contracts. And we now use Text Expander to make sure we have consistent naming on all of the contracts. So that way, when we're looking for something, we know exactly where it is, what it is, and what it's about. It's very, very useful for stuff like that to add consistency to the team's communication, which can be, and if you work in any size team, You'll know how important that is. So go to textexpander.com slash podcast right now and you can learn more about Text Expander and tell them that you came to, to them from Upgrade. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to them for their support. So should we do some upstream? I had I to, think it's time. I had to cut time. so many things. I had so many things <laughs> and just, just picked out a small handful. Um, one that is the most important upstream news that has been uh, going on for a while, and I think it is huge. The ramifications are massive. The Fox and Disney deal has been agreed upon. Uh, both Fox and Disney shareholders have approved the deal for Disney to buy Fox for $71.3 billion in cash and stock. I'm sure that uh, Fox thank Comcast greatly for getting involved in all of this because they got like an extra, I don't know, like 10 or $15 billion for this, including cash now, which they weren't getting before. Uh, Comcast did pull out after Disney increased its offer. They're going after Sky now, um, which is weird because now Disney have bought a stake in Sky. This is very incestuous. It's it's this is it's so complicated to wrap your head around this yeah. stuff. So, like to recap in full, what Disney will get once this deal goes through, it still needs um, a regulatory approval from India, China, and the EU. The U.S. regulatory approval is taken care of. 
I don't think this is going to be a problem, um, but we'll see. Uh, to recap, this deal will include Fox's film and TV studios and then all of the properties that they own, which include uh, The Simpsons, for example. It's going to get all of yeah. those. And they will also pick up a stake in Sky TV. They will own Star India, which I looked up as a huge media conglomerate in India, which is like a subsidiary of Fox. And a stake in Hulu, which is hilarious because Disney is launching already, I think, two new streaming services, and now they own right. a big chunk in another one. Um, Disney has basically said that they very much plan to use the IP that they've purchased. They this uh, is they very they very very much plan to do that, um, especially and they've they've said this basically that there's quotes from Bob Iger um, that when they're looking at launching their own streaming services, this stuff will help them greatly. Yeah, Hulu is interesting because that's they they have a stake in Hulu, but this will give them a majority stake. And um you know, Hulu is a basically was a streaming service in created in the US by the TV networks to give them uh a, a place to put shows on the internet essentially. And I think one of the things that um Tim Goodman and I talk about on the our TV podcast every every week is what Hulu um, might do um, because if Disney owns Hulu, I mean, there's a real question of like, will Hulu attempt to go international? Because I think that's their big missing piece is that right now they're really just a vehicle for the US. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think everybody is inclined to believe that Disney will use Hulu as the place where it puts. Because if you think about their other services, they've got like ESPN for sports and they've got the the streaming service they're doing that is going to have Star Wars and Marvel and things like that in it. And it's sort of a um, kid and kid and young adult kind of feel, I think, a little bit more um, than some of the more adult stuff, especially that comes from like FX. And uh, they Hulu might be the place for that. So it may be that Hulu just naturally becomes another Disney-driven streaming service um, and expands internationally, and it's a place where they can put the stuff that is kind of a little bit off of the what we would think of as like the core Disney brands to be because you know now they own not only The Simpsons but like the X Files and um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Firefly and and and, and f- sure so um, all of that is there um, so we'll see what they do with that. The other thing is who owns the other big chunk of Hulu? Universal Comcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is there it is keeps getting more and more complicated yeah so well and they're gonna have to sell so one thing that disney has to do is they have to sell all the sports channels and and who yep. knows who will buy those because and the news. they have to divest because of espn and then fox uh network and fox tv mm-hmm. will stay with the murdochs but um the programs on it that are from the fox studio um belong to disney now which yeah, is also a really interesting imagine relationship. if you think about what disney would want and what they wouldn't want that's how this deal is structured right yeah, disney basically. don't want fox tv like what are they going to do with that right, right? like uh, they, 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 they want would the characters. i think they would love i think they would love those sports networks but they already own espn and that yeah. was one of the conditions of the deal from the u.s government was like no 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 you can't own all the sports networks you have to divest <laughs> and some of disney, that you but, can't own all the news channels either <laughs> like you need to chill right. a bit <laughs> and all the television channels we got to have some semblance of a fair play here so um i think the interesting scenario and then something that has come up um a couple of times recently especially since comcast dropped out of the bidding for fox is that people are speculating that there may be some sort of a gentleman's agreement going Going on here where mm. Disney could potentially let Comcast have Sky in exchange for Comcast agreeing to sell them 
their stock in Hulu. It's effectively a trade, right? That's just a theory. Well, even if there's money involved... it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Because that would give Disney 90% control over Hulu and, like... uh, I think Time Warner Cable is the other 10%. It's sort of not an My expectation, percentage. like looking at the business models, Comcast don't want Hulu and Disney don't want Sky. Like if you look at where they are, right, you know, it's not really that useful to them. If Comcast yeah. could have bought Fox, then great. But now they can't have that. They may as well just pick up Sky. It's less about the characters and more about content distribution. Right. And then just, you and- know, so yeah. And going forward, when everybody's trying to launch a streaming service, I'm not entirely sure that a streaming service that is kind of a uh, a neutral zone owned by many different parties where they put their content into yeah, it nobody can survive. It, it, because Hulu doesn't exist in 2018. Like their business model, the, the, the way that they work, that yeah. was a very like 10 year ago situation. Exactly. So so it makes sense if Disney could repurpose it as its own. Uh, adult, uh, more adult-oriented stuff, and then also have um, obviously some some existing content from other places. It mm-hmm. could still do that in the U.S. and it could fulfill that. But if they want to roll it out internationally, that might be a way for them to do it. Anyway, we'll have to see what happens here because it, 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 once this deal closes, like all of these strange things happen, where you know there are going to be new executives in charge at Disney um, too. Like the di- rumor is that like the Disney TV head is going to go. And that it may actually be somebody from Fox who mm. replaces that person. And what happens to the uh, the Fox cable networks like FX and FXX, which have really great content on it. Um, but now it's going to be, you know, what, what will Disney want to do with that? And where will what, they take that strategically? That's all to play for. And then, of course, from the fanboy perspective, yes, this means that the X-Men um, will be back at Marvel Studios where they had sold them out to Fox. All the X-Men movies had been made by Fox. Now that's the same people who do all the Marvel movies. They're yep. all in the same place. And the Fantastic and that, Four, right? Fantastic Four yep. as well, yeah, which which kind of belly flopped at Fox. So maybe Marvel's got a new take on that. That'll work. And then there are other properties too that it's just like, you know, you, you lift your eyebrows. Like, yes, Bart Simpson and Mickey Mouse are work for the same company now which is really fascinating um the x files is now a disney property (laughs) that's weird like there's just a lot of those things it's like this really but that so yeah strange bedfellows we'll see what happens um on that note super quick uh there has been another announced show for the possible who knows what disney streaming service announced at comic-con star wars the clone wars is going to get its final season um apparently i haven't seen the show but my understanding from reading about it um the story wasn't finished the show went off the air but the story wasn't over um and they tried to do some things to wrap it up but there is a whole new season coming which will finish the overall arc of the show um this clone wars animated series will join john favreau's star wars project that will premiere on the streaming service, whatever it might end up being. Right, and some presumably some Marvel projects that we haven't heard of either. So who knows? Yep. I mean, the stuff they announced at Comic-Con and the stuff they didn't, it makes me kind of try to calibrate like when they actually are going to launch this and yep. what's going to be on there if they if they only have certain things to announce. But yeah, they my friends who are Star Wars fans, who are like huge Star Wars fans, were blown away by this cuz no there were no reports that this was going to happen. That's Everybody cool. expected that they would have a follow-up to Rebels, which is the most recent one that replaced uh Clone Wars. And Clone Wars got caught in the shuffle, right? It was on Cartoon Network, which was a different network um not owned by Disney. 
And when Disney bought Lucasfilm, one of the things that happened is, they, is they're like, yeah, we're going to not make that show anymore. We're going to make a new show on our own network. And uh, so this is interesting that maybe some contractual reasons why it didn't happen before, but that they're going to get to kind of complete the story because it was generally a, a well-liked uh, show, although I, I have not watched it, but maybe someday. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was YouTube Premium. So they've announced their slate of programming that's going to, I think, going to be their full programming. And it includes Will Smith, Kirsten Dunst, Robert Downey Jr., and many more Hollywood stars that you may have heard of. And this is very perplexing to me because YouTube Red, when it launched, was all about YouTube giving TV series to the YouTubers, right? Like that was kind of the idea. But now all of the YouTube premium shows that they are talking about, all of the new products, all of the new projects, I should say, are all with Hollywood stars. So they renewed Michael Stevens' Minefield. He's from Vsauce. He's a YouTuber. As well as a show called Foursome, which uh, is, the I think, the fourth season, which is one of the very original YouTube Red shows. So they're mm-hmm. the YouTuber shows, but they're just renewals of, of, of successful shows. All of the new stuff that I could find is coming from Hollywood. So clearly YouTube have decided that they want to position themselves more in line with Netflix and Amazon and TV, I guess, instead mm-hmm. of focusing on leveraging the styles already on their platform. I think this is a bad idea. Yeah, because what, what makes YouTube YouTube? Yep. Is, is, what they're saying is, okay, we have reached here because all the reasons YouTube is successful. Mm-hmm. Now that we're here, we're going to create this thing that you, you pay for that is just another Netflix. Uh, there's a disconnect. I don't think it works. Yeah. Like I know like Will Smith, for example, right? Like he is he's he's on YouTube in a big way now, and that's like a big thing for him. But this isn't a series that he's doing. Like there's this whole thing with a couple of YouTubers who challenged him to jump out of a helicopter and he's doing it. I think the channel's called Yes Theory. He's gonna jump out of a helicopter. I think that's what it is. And they're making a one off TV special, a premium special of him jumping out of a helicopter. Right. So that's just like he said he was gonna do it and then YouTube called him, was like, We'll pay you X amount of million dollars if you give that to us and don't put it on your channel. And it's like, all right, whatever, right? But there's no series going on there where, like, I don't believe that Kirsten Dunst and Robert Downey Jr. are on YouTube in a big way. I mean, I haven't seen that. So this is purely like a there are these projects, these names are attached, and YouTube have purchased them. I don't think it makes any sense to me. Like, I just don't get it. Like, YouTube Premium should be about giving really famous YouTube stars TV shows. Like, I don't understand why they're not doing that. And I know that they've had some projects that got cancelled because of some issues with various YouTubers, but <laughs> there are many people on their platform that could do this. I mean, I think a lot of people that subscribe to YouTube Premium do it because they watch a lot of YouTubers and they either want to support them or remove the ads. Like, that's kind of the flow. I don't think people are signing up because of X YouTube Premium show. Like, right. those shows are like a benefit. And I would expect that YouTube are like, well, I know what we'll do. We'll bring in Hollywood stars because then people... I don't think that's going to force more people to sign up for YouTube Premium. I don't think it works that way. I don't know. Yeah, so um, Tim Goodman wrote a piece about this because they're having the um, the Television Critics Association press t- summer press tour in LA yep. right now. And uh, he wrote a piece in The Hollywood Reporter about the sessions with Facebook Watch and YouTube Premium. 
And it, it's a it's a fun article to read. <laughs> Basically, Facebook Watch. What Tim says is these people have no idea what they're doing. Right. Okay. <laughs> like they that don't have seems a strategy. That way. It seems that they way. They don't have a plan. They have no idea what they're doing. YouTube. What he says is the people who are working at YouTube, the TV execs that they've hired, are good. They know what they're doing in terms of like finding programming. The problem is, I think one of the things is what you say, which is it's just a complete mismatch with what YouTube is and what it represents. And what Tim's, Tim's basic final thing is, you know, lots of people in the entertainment industry are terrified of Netflix and all the money it spends and Amazon and all the money that it's starting to spend. We didn't even get to that. We may talk about that next week a little bit about like everything that uh, that because Amazon is now like geared up with their new executive team to take on Netflix and they're making lots of announcements. Um, people in the entertainment industry are not afraid of certainly Facebook and really YouTube at this point. And that that to Tim and I think to me, that's telling when you know, when you talk to people in the industry and they're like, oh, you know, YouTube, they're they're going to they're going to have a premium service and they're going to spend a lot of money on content. There doesn't seem to be a great deal of fear of that. And I think that's because mm -hmm. they're looking at it, too, and saying this doesn't make sense. I don't think this is going to work. All right. So that's upstream. We'll have more uh, next week, as we always do. There's always more. There's always more. Um, Cam, let's talk quickly <laughs> about the MacBook Pro performance thing. So, yeah, in between. Um, the episode you did with Stephen, which the MacBook Pros had just came out, and now there was this whole debacle about the throttling of the CPUs on the new MacBook Pros. Uh, I recommend people listen as a piece of follow-out to episode 284 of ATP because when I saw this news, I followed it very lightly because this sort of stuff doesn't interest me greatly, and considering I was on vacation and didn't need to talk about it on a show, I kind of let it go. Honestly, sure. like I was I was familiar with it. I knew something was going on, and I didn't really bother to look into like why is this happening? Like, what does it mean for a chip to be throttled, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, and I would do the research when I needed to talk about it. And I listened to episode two eighty four of uh, ATP on the plane home and got all of the information that I needed. Yep. It is an excellent, honestly, I think one of the best episodes of ATP ever. It is an excellent episode. Uh, they do a really good job of breaking down all of the stuff that was going on with Intel, why it's a problem, why it might not be a problem, why Apple are in the wrong, why they're not in the wrong, like, and then also a bunch of really funny stuff about pasta. So uh, I recommend listening to that episode because I don't really want to go into the hows and whys that, of what was going on here, except yeah, to say for it's the a fact very good that episode. it got fixed. There was a a bug in firmware that got fixed and i know that apple issued a statement to you which you wrote about in six colors right yeah the um it's a very good episode um they also talk about the keyboard stuff a little bit mm -hmm. which leads to one of my favorite atp titles ever which is hotel california keyboard yeah very good oh. that was a casey line and i was very proud of him yeah the uh you can hear how proud he is as yeah. he says it he's <laughs> like i got this i got this um yeah, and the way I put it in our notes is sort of like disaster, OMG, LOL, nope. Yeah. <laughs> like it just it came and it went. You got to spin down the outrage machine because uh, it turns out it was a bug. And um, it, my my mini rant about this topic because we did kind of like yeah, due to the way the recording schedule, we didn't get to dive into it. Is I think it's interesting how um, people are so ready to be outraged, and I and 
Apple bears some, we mentioned this on download last week, um, Apple bears some of the responsibility for kind of priming the pump here because people are grumbly and you know unhappy yeah, with some of the decisions Apple's made with the MacBook Pro, right? super wrong with each one of them. As you, as you right. said very rightly, which i completely forgotten about with Stephen, at first it was the ports. It was USB-C was the problem. Then... That was the first one, right? Everyone hated that there were no ports. And RAM. And, then, and, and, and the Max and RAM, RAM was yes, too small, RAM 16. Well, which we kind of got over some of that. Then the keyboards were a problem with the next one, right? Because it seemed like the keyboards, people didn't like the keyboards, but they weren't catastrophically failing. Then it seemed but like in over the second time, revision. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, either yeah. that or just the, the time you know, time mm-hmm. passes and crumbs fall into your keyboard and then the exactly. keyboard became the cause So then by the time the second one had come out, right, where the keyboard wasn't any different... They were failing. So then the problem was the keyboards are a problem. So when MacBook Pros come out and there's throttling on the CPUs, you would immediately think, oh, well, this is what they've done this time. Because every revision of these machines has brought with it a new thing to be frustrated about, right? So it, it makes sense why this caught on so quickly, because it just seemed like par for the course that there would be a big problem, a new big problem. Yeah, it's um, so that's that primes the pump, and then of course people are looking for something to get outraged was, about. But, yeah, there, there is the thing, right? Like as well, like look, this is the, this is the landscape that we live in, especially with technology reporting. Things being wrong drive a lot of traffic. So if you are yeah. in YouTube or writing on the web, like you need numbers. On podcasts, it doesn't work that way. We don't, or at least we don't, go for these shock things with the numbers because it doesn't really affect in podcasts. Like you don't get like that hit and run type thing podcasts are, are subscription driven yeah. right yeah so yeah so anyway this um the issue here is that uh people because they're primed for it and because also outrage sells um they, there's this like leaping to uh, basically what i saw was people are basically like oh my god i can't believe that apple released systems that are high-end laptops designed for video editors that that don't work mm-hmm so the logic here is I can't believe Apple would do this where they would release a high-end video editing laptop and it, it's slower than before and basically it spins down to like no processor speed unless you're in a meat locker and how could they do this and Apple's totally lost the plot and this is a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. When... Not to not to bring up the you know Occam's razor, the idea that probably the simplest explanation is the correct one. Um, I looked at this at the time and I was like, "That's got to be a bug, right?" Like, because there's no way that Apple would choose to release a product that was so totally broken that it was unsuitable for a task. Like, they're not going to do that. What do you think would happen if Apple was like, "We can get away with it. Nobody's paying attention to the products we release. Hee hee. We can charge them five thousand dollars for this thing and it doesn't work and nobody will ever notice." Like, no, <laughs> that does that doesn't happen. But people will believe as we've learned people will believe kind of anything they hear on the internet and so it wasn't logical that this was the case it was very clearly a bug and almost certainly a software bug because again they do a lot of internal testing of these systems before they're released and if they couldn't do uh video encoding like (laughs) for and compression and all of that for an extended period of time before overheating and throttling down how like to an unusable level they would know and there's no way they would ship that there's no way they would ship that people are like oh no they would ship it and try to trick people it's like no of course they wouldn't of course they wouldn't they know what the blowback would be for that so the logical thing to do is to look at this and say huh 
that seems really, really weird. I wonder what's going on here. And let's talk to Apple. And and so, like, I think the first video was was perfectly responsible. That was a legitimate a video editor being like, "What's going on here?" Um, but it, then it goes and it turns into this whole gate crazy thing. And Apple knows it because you know the fact that Apple released a bug a week later suggests that they were on it and they found the problem and they had people working probably you know full all the time through the weekend to get that release out on uh, I think Tuesday morning. Um, figure you know they had to identify the problem they contacted the original youtuber they got his sample files um they you know they ran it on the hardware they did all of this stuff and found the issue which was it sounds like a very esoteric bug where some data didn't get included in the final build of the software on the shipping systems and it had it didn't cause them to break it just caused this weird anomalous behavior in the uh, thermal management portion, which would then lead to a throttle down. Um, and they, you know, they missed that. <laughs> so again, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's a time when people are primed to be looking for things from Apple because they're suspicious of Apple's decisions in this product. And I don't want to downplay that. Like that's, if everything was great and people loved everything Apple was doing with these laptops and then something like this came out, it would have not happened quite like this. But in the end, you know, it was a bug. I think it was pretty clear that it was a bug. It was pretty clear that it was not a total disaster where Apple had built hardware that was unusable. It was also not not a bug, right? Like, no, no, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine, right? You can go either way with these stories and just say, everything's great, don't believe the haters. And you could also say, oh my God, the sky is falling. And unfortunately for everybody, the truth is, yeah, it was a dumb bug that they fixed in a week and now everything is fine. So, you know, that's that's the world we live in. People are gonna people are gonna freak out, but people were primed to freak out because there's been so much unhappiness with the, the MacBook Pro. One last question and this will move on. Obviously Apple responded to this pretty quickly. Do you think they maybe should say that they're looking into it? Like they don't say anything until it's fixed. It wouldn't it wouldn't it help them if they even just like went to the verge and they were just like, We want to give a statement that we can this isn't as intended and we are looking into it. Would that not help? Yeah, so um, last week on Download, Michael Gardenberg was on, who used to work at Apple. And what he said was, you know, there are a couple different ways to do this. And one is to acknowledge the problem and say we're working on it. And then you acknowledge the problem. Or the other way is acknowledge the problem and here's our fix for it. And that seems to be what they basically did this time. They thought they could get to it so quickly that they wanted to have not just an acknowledgement of the problem, but the solution. It's also possible that that they discovered the problem, like figured out what it was on like Saturday or Sunday. Like that they very late in the game found out what it was. Right. And, they, and, right. and before that, if they don't know exactly what is causing it, there is this fear that, you know, you can't say what you're going to do. Because the fix, the fix might take six months, right? Like you have no idea. Right. We're investigating this. But yeah, if it, if it, if it requires six months, if it is a hardware problem, whatever it is, like if you don't yeah. know, okay. I think that's the inclination. But I agree. I think that, um, that Apple... Uh, changing its changing its rules, right? Changing its playbook, all of those things uh, that I've I've written about and that we've talked about. This is one of those places where they're doing it because this was much more rapid a response, and I think they did a really good job with their response to it. But I think that will be part of the postmortem for them: is should we have jumped faster on um, saying we're in touch with 
Dave Lee and uh, were looking into this and the the um, which I don't think they did and say, you know, his results are not do not match what we've tested internally and are not intended is as a way to basically say, you know, this is not this, the we're product. We're not trying to screw you. Yeah, you didn't yeah. discover a, an ugly fact about yeah. these systems. There's something wrong here and we're investigating it. That's probably all the statement you need to make until you've got an answer. Yeah. And and I if they didn't I, I can't remember, it's possible that somebody got Nobody. I didn't see that. But yeah, but that that would be the clear signal. People people were still working on videos trying to show what the problem was like <laughs> yeah. when it and came out. Yeah. They're all the Reddit right? Reddit threads about yeah. it. <laughs> like we're trying to pick it apart. And so that would be one way that they could have gotten ahead of it is what we're seeing we we we're in touch with him what he's seeing is not what we've seen in all of our thorough testing of these systems. Um, and it's not supposed to work like that. Like that, that gets them ahead of it to say, Hey people, this is not business as usual because that was the conspiracy theory was like, mm-hmm. I can't believe they shipped this system. That's so hot that it can't work. And Apple could have very quickly said, no, no, it's not supposed to do that. That's wrong. We're working on it because they, because they, they said in their statement, ultimately that, um, all their testing showed what their their test claims were based on, you know, obviously uh, stuff where they didn't see that. But then when they made the fix, their test claims were exactly the same. So they'd done a lot of testing and seen it, and they knew what the speed was supposed to be in those scenarios. And they couldn't understand why it wasn't. So, you know, they could have probably had a little more confidence to say, no, the computer, you know, your, our high-end i9 <laughs> 15-inch laptop uh, does not, stop being functional encoding video after a minute like they probably could have said that so maybe they will next time who knows all right jason let's uh let's take a break and thank our friends over at pingdom for their support of this show the reason pingdom so awesome and the reason that i love them is because they help keep sites including ours online pingdom monitor your site so you don't have to and they'll give you real-time feedback so you'll know exactly what's going on you'll know something's slow you know something's down and you'll know when it's back up again all with the help of pingdom because stuff breaks on the internet all the time and sometimes there's absolutely nothing you can do about it right like it's not something you've done wrong it might be the hosting provider that you use it might be some a caching provider you use. It could be all of AWS explodes, which happens every now and then, and then you get problems with your website. In fact, Pingdom Detect, just from the websites that they look at, 13 million outages every single month. It doesn't matter what type of website you have. You want it to be online, whether it's a small site or a complete infrastructure, because why else would it be there? You want to monitor availability and performance of your website so the people that are going to it to do whatever it is that they're doing, whether it's to download a podcast or to buy a hat, whatever it is, Pingdom will make sure that if there's a problem, you will know about it. You don't want your site to be down. You don't want to find out that there's a problem because somebody sent you an email. That's why you need Pingdom. You just give them the URL that you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. It is so easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now, and you'll get a 14-day free trial with no credit card needed, so you can see what Pingdom is all about. And then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Once again, that is pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial and the code upgrade at checkout to save 30% on your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so there was some news a couple of weeks ago uh, that we wanted to talk about and it's all about Adobe and something that they are doing which seems 
really surprising to me because one, it's happening now, and two, it's happening at all. And this is this is a report on Bloomberg that apparently there is going to be a newly rebuilt full version of Photoshop that will run on desktop machines and iPads coming in 2019 with other apps, including Illustrator, to follow. This is full Photoshop feature parity across tablets and Macs and PCs. That's what they're looking to do. Yeah, it's basically new Photoshop, mm-hmm. new uh, like new Photoshop, where they're going to use their, I think, like Lua and all their other kind of like existing sort of scripting infrastructure. I think it's like what they did with Lightroom, where there's now a new Lightroom, and it'll probably... Everybody who's cheering about Photoshop being uh, on the iPad now will will also probably be booing later when they discover that, you know, it'll be new Photoshop mm-hmm. and that like on the Mac, you'll still be able to run kind of like classic Photoshop and they'll leave it there. I mean, I expect it to be new Photoshop. like Final Cut, right? It's going to be really good in a bunch of ways. It's going to be easier for people to get used to. But it's going to miss some some things that real professionals use, and yeah. eventually I mean, it will get especially, them. Especially initially, which is, which is I think, basically what's gone on with the, the new Lightroom. Because they've yep. done this with Lightroom, yep. where there's a new Lightroom, and they keep the kind of classic Lightroom around, and it's a very different thing. And I imagine it'll be kind of like that, where it's not quite the same Photoshop you're used to, but it will be like the new Photoshop that goes everywhere, including on iPad, which is that, I mean, that's like, and and then Illustrator and other kind of like... You know, they're, they're, this idea that they're kind of committing to the iPad as a platform for the creative cloud stuff is uh, that's super exciting. So uh, the the rumor, the report suggests that this will be demoed and shown off at Adobe Max, which is their conference in right. October. And I should say, not not a rumor, right? It's a they they confirmed it that this is absolutely well, yes, what they're doing. So, so sorry, this this is something that I was getting to, but you're completely basically what happens. This was a report from Bloomberg, which was then confirmed. In essence, Scott Belsky, uh, Adobe's chief product officer of Creative Cloud, has said they are working on new cross-platform apps, but hasn't given any timings. There are other things in this report which suggest the timings, right? It was, it was. My, if I'm remembering it correctly, the original report did not have this quote from Adobe in it. It right. was just like, a, here's think, a thing we know, and then this yeah, got added in. I'm not sure, but but definitely they confirmed it. They either confirmed it um, to the reporters before they went to publish, or they confirmed it after the mm-hmm. fact, but they have confirmed it for sure. So if this is apparently being shown off uh, Adobe Max, I would be willing to put down a significant sum of money that this will not be the first time that we see the Photoshop <laughs> running on iPad. Uh, I'm pretty confident that that will be shown off as part of the demo of the new iPad Pros in September. I cannot believe that they will have something ready to show in October that they won't put on stage in September during the iPhone keynote, right? Like, Because I would guarantee that Apple and Adobe have worked together on this in some way, right? Like that there is an element of collaboration which has occurred to ensure that this is going to work for everyone from the case of like, how do we sell this right and like how are we going to work together or maybe we can uh do a deal about how much creative cloud costs right like you know there's going to be some stuff there which i'm very confident happens with some of these bigger players um i expect there's a bunch of things going on there and apple is helping them um so like adobe you've written about this in the past they have ios apps that are supposed to do some photoshop like things but nobody uses them and that's probably why they're doing this yeah that's it they have super weird um well, it, I, I think their conception was, uh, let's build little bite-sized apps for phones. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem is that that became their iOS strategy, including on the iPad. 
And it's clear from apps like um, like Affinity Photo that you can do Photoshop style fully functional apps on iOS and Adobe just isn't. And so I, I, I think I, I feel for them because I think they made a decision with the information they had at the time that they thought was maybe the right one. And that now it looks like that was, you know, with the growing power of the iPad, that was a problem because those apps were not great for the iPad. Um, they were reconceptions when I think a lot of their um, their customers wanted Photoshop. Like I talked to um, a couple of, of tweet exchanges with a woman named Jen Bartell, who's a fantastic comic book artist. And she ha- has been detailing like how she she likes the iPad, but most of the work she does is on a uh, on a tablet that is a Windows tablet that's like a, it's like a Wacom tablet and Windows laptop basically in one uh, because she needs full Photoshop for so much of what she does. And the Adobe apps don't cut it and the other apps on, on uh, the iPad don't cut it, although um, you know sh- there are some apps that she likes and will do some work on. And I, I pointed her at this story and she was like, yeah, <laughs> like, we're very excited about <laughs> it because, because she really likes you know the iPad but uh, doesn't do Photoshop and she needs Photoshop for her, her job. So I think um, it's, it's exciting that, that we're going to get there uh, because the, we, the iPad absolutely is capable of doing all of this. And, um, and yet uh, this also seems to be part of Adobe's strategy of like, what are we going to do for these core apps that we have people spending a lot of money on with subscriptions on an ongoing basis? How do we how do we position them for a future world where, you know, where the Windows interface is, you know, has the options to be, you know, touch centric and run on tablets where Apple has got the iPad? Um, what do we do to cover all of the bases? And it's a lot of what we've been talking about with the idea of Marzipan and where Apple goes with its OS and its app platform. Like you kind of want to have something today that can scale, uh, if not from phone size, if you're Adobe, although maybe. Um, but from small screens all the way up to super large screens and with touch or mouse and keyboard as interfaces. And that's what an app should be like Mm -hmm. now. I also wonder, you talk about Adobe and Apple talking. I do wonder if one of the back channel conversations they might be having is about what Apple is doing with the marzipan stuff. Because if I were Adobe, if I were Adobe, I would, I would like to not make technical decisions about where i'm going with this that would be the wrong decisions to make uh in terms of what my mac version is and what my ipad version is and um you know it may not matter and they may not have an answer but it would be one of those things like if you're apple too wouldn't you want to collaborate with adobe so that if adobe put a lot of effort into doing an ipad version of photoshop in let's say early to mid 2019 that uh, maybe that work could also go, go toward a new version of Mac Photoshop later in the year. Maybe. I don't know. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Like, what does that mean like, for the amount of work that Adobe are going to do? Like, are they right. eventually just going to end up throwing out one of them? Like, I mean, the idea is that they're very, these are very cross-platform already, that a lot of the work they're doing is, in, is at a higher level where it'll, you know, it, it's going to be the same on Windows and it's going to be the same on iPad and it'll be the same on Mac um, because it's, they're using their top high level, their scripting language, you know, that they build everything in, um, that, that a lot of that will be uh, high level enough that, that there won't be as much cross-platform work that needs to be done. I think that's the idea here. But yeah, I just, I wanted to... It, it the thought occurred to me like 
do we invest, if we're Adobe, do we invest in building the Mac version of this and the iOS version of this? Or are things we can do so that they're they're basically... And maybe the answer is, no, no, just build a Mac version. Don't worry about this AppKit stuff. It's, you know, just go. just go. Or maybe the answer is, actually, yeah, just build the AppKit version and then that can be your Mac version too, which... Depends on how powerful those apps can be next fall. So do you think that Adobe are potentially nervous about products like the Affinity stuff or Pixelmator and things like that? I don't... I think they don't like it. I think that they don't like hearing from their customers that they can't get on the iPad and that they maybe are using things like this. The right. the challenge is so many of Adobe's customers are on multiple devices and they're paying a subscription. Um, so I think it's less likely that somebody's going to be like, I could just use Pixelmator. I mean, it is on the Mac and iOS, right? I could just use Affinity. Because they're probably using the creative suite. They're using all of the cloud apps or multiple cloud apps. And they're using it on multiple platforms. And I think Adobe probably feels like they, they may be risking losing some customers. But I think it's more that they have this pain point where they have customers who are using their products and paying for their services, and those people are frustrated that they're locked out of their iPads. And that that's the problem here, mm-hmm. is that they're, they're frustrated because they're like, well, I can do it on my iPad, but then it doesn't connect to, to Creative Cloud, which is what I need because that's what I use on my desktop, and, and that, that's a frustration. I, I think it's... There are, you know... <sighs> There are some people who would be like, well, I don't need Photoshop because I can just get Pixelmator and I can buy it and I don't have to spend $110 or $120 a year on it. There are those people. And, you know, I Adobe will lose some of them, but Adobe, I think, is going to lose some of them anyway because, um, the, you know, you have to, if you have to pay a subscription fee, there some people are going to be like, I don't want to do it. I, I, can I get away with it? Can I avoid doing that? Especially if you don't use them that extensively, right? Like exactly. If, if you're just doing some simple resizing or retouching, something like Pixelmator, which is what I use, because I don't really understand Photoshop enough that it, that I could even right. do a lot of the things that you would want to do with it. Uh, but Pixelmator, I can understand because it is more simplified. But the Pixelmator version uh, on iPad is good, but the UI is a little clunky. So I'm very keen to see what Adobe will turn out. Personally. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see which approach they take. Because for me, the biggest asset that Photoshop has, and the reason that I use it and I pay for it and I pay the annual subscription fee for it, is because I learned Photoshop a long time ago, like an impossibly long time ago. More than it was probably like more than 25 years ago. Now <laughs> I learned how to use Photoshop, and because I learned in college. And Photoshop it works like Photoshop. It feels like Photoshop. Like, I know where everything is. I know how it works. And there's a great comfort in that. And that also there's a great speed in being able to, like, you know, I understand what I need to do and how I do it in Photoshop. And the problem on my iPad is that Pixelmator is good. Affinity Photo is good. Acorn is good on, on my Mac. Like, but they're not Photoshop. And it's hard for me to adjust. And then I go back to my Mac and I'm using Photoshop still. And and, it, for, and for me, I think that's Adobe's greatest asset is if they can put something on the iPad that feels like Photoshop and behaves like Photoshop and works with Photoshop, mm. then that's a big deal. But that would be interesting though, right? Because like, will new Photoshop be like old Photoshop? That is the big question, right? And that's the challenge that you make when you advance a product like that, which is what Apple found out with Final Cut. That 
you know, you can make something that's that's newer and better. Or look at Microsoft, right? Windows 10. Was it 10 or yeah. 7? The one where they turned it, they completely changed the UI. 7, right? They completely seven. changed the UI and then went yep. back in 8 to basically what it was like before. Yeah, because it's, you know, you've got, you want to advance your platform, but you've got people who don't want change. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, you know, your, your your existing users are your biggest asset in a lot of ways. So that'll be a challenge for Adobe too. But uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting though that the that Adobe, after all of this, has finally kind of like come around to the idea that the iPad is a platform that they want their apps to be on. Um, I do think that they're they're part of what's going in here is that they need to do the work to understand how you do a touch and tablet interface for Windows right for windows 10 because microsoft very much wants that to be you know that to be uh, a primary experience not just the keyboard and mouse driven cursor based kind of interface and so people want that on windows and they want it on ipad and that's basically the same problem interface wise so you know adobe gets to think about all of that and release a new generation of photoshop that runs on those devices too this is probably going to be big for the iPad, right? Like, I feel like people that already use the iPad for creative work are going to love it, and it's going to push a lot of people that weren't using it to buy one. Because if it truly is like this, this the same thing everywhere, for a lot of creative people, I guess, wouldn't it be lovely to use your like device at home, which has a tablet attached to it, like a Wacom? And then when you're on the go, instead of taking a laptop and a Wacom with you, you just get your iPad and your Apple Pencil and you're good to go. Yeah. I feel like yeah. it's going to be really big for for a lot of people. Yeah. And and it, people will say, oh, well, that's silly because they could do it today. And it's like, yes, they could. And yet then when I talk to somebody like Jen Bartell, what she says is, you know, I but I really can't because there are very specific yeah. things in my job that require Photoshop. I the, there are like there are brushes that Photoshop offers that she uses that are not in other apps. And the apps that they're in are these little Adobe apps that don't work well enough for her to do what she needs to do. And there are just there are a lot of people who are like that. They're not all they're not all being stubborn, right? Some of it is that they just they have something in their workflow that they built up across all their other devices and the they're not going to throw it all away just so that they can also use the iPad. Right, cuz there are some times where I have to use Word. Right? Like there's something I need to do and I need Word for it and I have no other option. I have to use Word. And so that's what I'll have to use, right? Like it's a similar kind of idea where I typically don't use Word. I typically use pages. But sometimes someone will send me something and the only way I can format this is actually using Word. It's like, it's just kind of how it is and then I can do about it. Yeah. So a similar kind of idea. Um, I do think this would probably be awkward for Microsoft because a selling point of the Surface right now is that it is a tablet with a stylus that runs full Photoshop. Right? Like, I think it is a big selling point for the Surface and that selling point would go away and I think that's going to be awkward for them because I think a lot of people given the choice would go with an iPad over a Surface but a lot of, I think there are many people that make the choice to go Surface because Surface has Windows apps on it, full Windows yeah. apps on it. Surface or, or like I, I mentioned, like, you know, other companies that are coupling really high quality, um, you know, tablet and uh, pen technology on a PC that's running Windows 10. And they have the advantage now because those devices, you talk to artists like, 
those devices let them use the tools that they use at home when they travel. Whereas with the iPad, you're left using weird tools that are just on the iPad. And it's not that the iPad screens aren't great. Like the new iPad Pro screens, and I imagine the newer ones will be even better, of course. Yep, but with the, with the with the ProMotion and the the high uh, high resolution uh, digitizer for the pen for the Apple Pencil. Um, it's great hardware, right? But the problem is that the software that they expect to be there to do their job isn't there. And it is on Windows. Yep. So that is an advantage that Microsoft loses if uh, this happens. Super excited to see what this looks like in a couple of months. Like I think we're going to see it in September, but if we don't, we'll see it in October. But I would be flabbergasted it's going to be one of my draft picks i've got to remember to pick that one right like adobe on stage this very important somebody tweet at me when we say we're doing the draft and tell me <laughs> that i need to pick uh adobe that would be very useful thank you for your service all right so let's uh take a final break and i have a summer of fun topic jason that, that i want to do today i have a, i have a i have a summer of fun dealio but today i want to talk about a new sponsor for the show and that is green chef green chef is a meal delivery service that includes everything you need to cook delicious gourmet meals that you can feel good about this is what makes green chef different they send a wide variety of organic ingredients and imaginative new recipes each week with varying meal plan styles so you may have used and seen other services that you get. Oh, these are your recipes and you can go with it. But Green Chef offer a bunch of different categories. You can choose meal plans for paleo diets, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore. So you can choose from any of these categories and then you'll get your recipes based on those. It is awesome. Green Chef is the first USDA-certified organic meal delivery service. Each ingredient is thoughtfully sourced, and its journey is tracked from planting to plating. And recipes include pre-made sauces, dressings, and spices, so you get more flavor in less time. Now, Jason, I know that you were sent a Green Chef box, and I'm really I keen was. to know what you think. I got the uh, I actually got the veggie box, which is interesting. That was of all of the choices, the one that fit the best with what our diets are in this house because we have like very specific meat things that we mm-hmm. don't do. And I am a little bit skeptical of of uh, vegetarian cuisine, right? Like I'm I'm I was not I was raised by people from the Midwest. Arguable, there's a robot or not episode about that. But anyway, um, so I'm skeptical of like vegetarian meals, but they were they were really good. There was a um, this like corn cakes thing that was like it was like corn and feta cheese and um there was like the cucumber in it and it was these it, it, they were they were so good and there was also a pad thai that I made Lauren made the 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 corn cake one and it was so good but the I made the pad thai and um and it was incredibly tasty the ingredients were high quality I really like I hate um I hate chopping vegetables and one of the things that I, I was impressed by. Uh, about the green chef stuff is that a lot of it comes in uh it's it's already chopped or it's already like if you need a quarter of a of a something it gives you a quarter of a something and then you can chop that up and it's so there was a lot um a less food prep than i was kind of dreading <laughs> honestly it was super easy to make and they they tasted really good even though i do eat meat and was skeptical of the vegetarian meals um i was impressed they were they were super tasty very good and easy to make 
That's awesome. Uh, their recipes are quick and easy, as Jason says. Step-by-step instructions. They have chef tips and photos to help guide you along. Green Chef thinks that dinner should be planned around your life, not the other way around, which is why they love to make it so easy for you. And they give you so many different choices as well. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash upgrade. Once again, that is greenchef, G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F. That's G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F dot U-S slash upgrade for $50 off your first box of Green Chef. Our thanks to Green Chef for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so my summer of fun topic for you, Jason, Uh is the perfect iOS device. So I thought there was way too much Mac stuff uh, in in that episode that you do with Steven, so I want to rebalance it out now that I'm back, (laughs) even though we had the full iPad episode, but shush, don't worry about that. Uh, So (laughs) so when I was in San Francisco, I went went into a Microsoft store. I saw a a Microsoft store, so I went in there and looked around because they had the Surface Studio there, and I've never seen one of those, Um, so I wanted to kind of just like poke around at it and pick it up, put it down, that kind of thing. Um, They also had Surface Books there as well. Um, They're they're interesting devices, right, because they are these hybrid devices, and we've spoken about this a bunch. You know, we've spoken about the possibility of an iBook, right, like an iOS laptop, we've spoken about that. But whilst that might be a device which seems like a good idea, I kind of thought, what if we, if we were given free reign, if, if Johnny Johnny came over and he's like, hey guys, come into my white room, and we went in there and it's all white in there, and he goes, you can make whatever you want here. You have free reign to create your own iOS hardware. We will do whatever you want and create a new product in your vision i want to know what it would look like and we'll both go through this together i have a couple of areas like a couple of key areas to talk about and we can just see what happens so for you if you were given the opportunity to create your own ios device first off would it be desktop or laptop and what would the form factor look like Ah boy! Uh, oh, this power, Mike. This power mm-hmm. concerns me now. I I don't I don't want to wield it incorrectly. With great power, Jason, comes great responsibility. Mike, I am creating a tablet. Okay. <laughs> not a desktop, not a laptop. I'm going to create a tablet. Um, what attaches to the tablet? Still, I mean, we could say I could I could spin this the other way. I'm creating a a laptop. But really, I'm not. I'm creating a tablet that can become laptop-like. That's mm-hmm. what I want. Okay. So what, what, what does that mean? Is it like it has a detachable keyboard that has a hinge in it, right? Like, yeah. yeah hon- honestly, what I want is I want something very much like what I've got now, where okay. I've got the 12.9-inch iPad Pro and the bridge keyboard. I want a large iPad Pro-like tablet that has a dock basically that's like the bridge keyboard that's got something okay. where i can attach it and now it behaves like a laptop there's no kickstand on the back to f- it, it, it's not going to be kind of all like uh almost falling off if i put it on my lap like i want it to be solid i'd like it to be in this case since it's going to be physically attached that way i want it to be using a smart connector of some sort so that it's not i don't have to deal with bluetooth pairing i don't have to deal with uh charging it or anything like that i want all of that together and of course, unlike my bridge keyboard, this would have a trackpad at the bottom. Ooh, okay, okay, right. So that's that's in the the um the overarching view. That's basically what I want. What I want is an iPad that's 
dockable into an accessory made by Apple that is a full keyboard and trackpad that allows me to move the cursor on the screen because you can already do text insertion cursor and I hope that will grow to other things as time goes on and type um, and have it auto connect and work like a laptop but let me pop it out on a moment's notice and turn it back into tablet mode. One quick question for you. Um, the hinge itself, does it do that 180 thing where you can flip it around or is it just laptop? Like the form factor, is it just laptop or is it one of those just laptop. Just I, laptop. I, I, okay. Just laptop because I don't want, if um, if I want a tablet, I wouldn't be able to just take it out and don't have want it double a thin the tablet. Yeah, thin tablet. Exactly. All right. So, of course I want this device, right? And I want the, the I want there to be a laptop form factor for the iPad because that's how I tend to use my iPad, right? Is in a laptop form factor and I would love that. But one of the reasons that I talk about this, and I think one of the reasons that we all focus on it, um, is because it seems like the most natural, obvious next step for the hardware, right? To to become a little bit more laptop-like, which Apple will be moving towards, kind of shifting, shifting, shifting. But the thing is, I already have a mobile iOS device. It's my iPad. What I want mm-hmm. is a big desktop iOS device. I want the iMac of iOS. That's what I want. Because when I'm at home, I use my 12-inch iPad, especially now with the plethora of stands I'm using, right? I use it fixed in position with a keyboard. I want to be able to have a 25, 28-inch screen, which is not incredibly heavy. It's movable. Maybe it's, there's some kind of little like uh, uh, articulated arm I could use or whatever, right? So I could bring it down if I wanted to and touch on it. But it's, I like it's it. you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like it's it it weights itself, but still kind of can be moved around, right? Like so, in theory, I could move it to somewhere else in the house if I wanted to, right? So maybe it's still got a battery in it, right? Like maybe it's not completely plugged in all the time, so it's still somewhat movable, um, but not a portable. It is it is intended to live at home or in an office. It is this device which kind of stays as it is, but doesn't completely lose the portability, right? Like it's more movable than our desktop computers are right now, whether you have a hipster bag or not, right? Like it's, that's the whole deal with it. But it is a desktop version because when I am here at home, that's kind of how I use my iPads. I have my 10 inch iPad to take with me when I go places and I have my 12 inch iPad which I use kind of just fixed in position and I sometimes think to myself wouldn't it be nice to have an even bigger one I'm really happy that you went this way because that was the other thing I thought about asking about Um, because those to me like and we could talk about like a straight up laptop but Mm -hmm. and I think that that Apple could make that although there is that question of like if Apple's actually with unifying the app platforms doesn't need to make that which is why I kind of like the, the core reason that I travel with the, the iPad is that I love it as a tablet. And if it was a laptop, I would love it less if it could only be a laptop because I want it to be a tablet. But the right. other part of it is absolutely the, you know, Surface Studio style desktop iOS device that we don't have yet. And it would have all those issues where it would need to be functional in a keyboard and pointer mode of some sort to mm-hmm. a certain degree, which it, which it wouldn't be today. And it would need uh, to be 
ergonomically very different, like the Surface Studio is, where you could really position it in different ways so that you could have kind of a very touch-oriented view of it, or you could kind of back it off and have that keyboard-driven version of it. And we've used things like that Viazon stand enough to know, like, you can do it, um, but the ergonomics are going to be really important in how you do sort of, sort of that. And I, I yeah. think for me, those are the two iOS devices that I would like to see the best, the most. I think they're they're still, depending on Apple strategy, having something that's like a straight up laptop that runs iOS that would be you know cost what what a an iPad like right like a six hundred dollar laptop that runs mm-hmm. iOS. I think that would be really interesting, but it's not what I want. So, like, I was thinking about this this for this device here, right? And even when you were mentioning about the trackpad, of course, I would want a trackpad, but I am also, again, this is like this is a super difficult thing. I'm also keen to to understand, like, what else could there be? Now, I don't think we have any answers to this, but if you're thinking about, you know, we went from uh, all keyboard control to having mice, and then we went from keyboard and mouse to having trackpads, and then we went from that to touchscreens. Like, is there another step that could be taken for a device which is kind of like iOS, but you're controlling it less of your like less direct input with your hands? Like, I wonder. Like, you know, we also have styluses too, right? That's another one. Like, we have all these different input methods. Like, is that necessarily the best one? Is there something else? I don't know. But right. like, that would be interesting to think about too, because. I don't know if like taking this device and then putting a cursor, like just like a mouse cursor on it, is like the best way to interact with it. Like I don't. Oh yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? I don't know what that is. Maybe there's something else. You know, maybe there's some kind of sensor that can track things in a certain way, like so you can move your hands but not have them on the screen. Something like that. I keep thinking of what we have with Face ID and mm-hmm. and that sensor and how kind of we didn't believe that was possible and then they made it possible. And I do wonder about sensors since Apple has spent a lot of time on sensor technology and also on kind of machine learning and things like that. Like, is there an interface that lets you look right? Like literally like look and gesture. It sounds, sounds wild, but that's not, you know, like it could work though. Right. Like, you know, like we don't know what those interfaces look like, but it feels like something that could happen now, you know, especially as we move more into like a lot of the things that are happening in VR and AR and mixed reality and stuff is using these sensors and controllers, right? The controllers have interesting sensors in like, so for example, the Oculus controller, um, it has uh, touch sensors in the buttons. So it knows whether you've just got your finger on the button or you've pressed the button. Right. And, right. And they they interact differently. So tap that's to kind click. of that's a click. <laughs> Push to click. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh so that's you know, there there are there are there's a lot of interesting stuff going taking sensors and using them slightly differently. And I would love to know what that looked like. Right? What is the version of a trackpad for a device which is kind of this this touch? Uh, thing so that there, there, I, I think there's something in there as well, um, but I want to talk about the software as well, right? Because right. my device. So, what screen size are you thinking of, by the way, for your, I, for your laptop? Twelve, twelve or thirteen. Okay, so by and large, we can assume that the software can kind of do its thing. Unless you were thinking, is it is it always iOS? Yeah, no. That this is this is another piece of this, which is I'm going to I'm going to put it out there since we're dreaming here that um, since you're going to be able to write apps um, next year that run on iOS and run on the Mac. And on the Mac, they get a menu bar and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
I I want to at least consider the option that when I attach that keyboard and trackpad, that the interface changes to say, oh, you've got a keyboard and a trackpad. I can do more stuff. I can show a menu bar. Um, you know, I, I can, right. or, so or whether it's, it's a Mac iOS, menu bar or something It doesn't turn different. into a Mac, but it becomes more Mac-like. More Mac-like because right. the apps could run the way they would look perhaps on a Mac laptop mm-hmm. in that scenario. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it would be bad. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but I'm intrigued by that idea that once you know, because right now in iOS, when you attach a keyboard, whether it's the smart, the smart keyboard um, or whether it's a uh, Bluetooth keyboard, all that really happens is that the keyboard slides away, the, 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 the on-screen keyboard. But you could do more. Like, it could be understanding, like, oh, look, pointing device and keyboard just got attached. I can be different and change to an interface that's slightly different, especially if it's already being built because that app is going to run on the iPad on the Mac. Maybe mm-hmm. I can get that menu bar, too. Maybe. I think that I would want a lot of similar things that you've mentioned for mine. Um, but... I'm not interested in Windows. I'm not interested in having Windows. Uh, (laughs) I'm good with like, you can have up to eight apps on screen at one time and you move them around as you need them. Or like uh, mission control kind of, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, multiple even windows of like, this one's got two on it and this one's got one on it and I kind of swipe between them. Yeah, so you can go between screens, right? But I'm not interested in uh, infinitely sizable windows of a desktop underneath. Like that... I'm sorry, everyone, but that just, it feels really old to me now. Like when I sit at my Mac and I look at this stuff, I'm like, this looks like old stuff. It looks like legacy stuff. And I know this upsets so many people, but I'm so much in the iOS mindset these days of like how I like my devices to be that I look at Windows and it's just like, everything's kind of the wrong size and it's all overlapping each other in awkward ways. I like my system to do it for me. I don't really like the way that macOS implements it. it. It doesn't feel right to me. I like the way it feels on iOS because I move it all with my hands. There's just the tactileness to it that I like. So yeah. if I was going to have this this 28-inch screen, I would like to be able to have like eight apps on it at one time and can move them all around as I need to. Yeah, nice. I, I, I kind of agree with that, that it will be not like free-floating windows so much as maybe like tiled different kind of tile yeah, preferences and on a big on a big screen maybe you say look i want this you know full screen or i want uh this with a thing on the side or you know a couple things on the sides and one that floats in like slide over something similar uh that would presumably also get you some of the things that i know you and gray have talked about which i fully endorse which is the idea of like you know having gestures or keyboard shortcuts that will let you set multitasking so you could very quickly yeah. say put take this app and put it over on the left mm-hmm. and have it just do that instead of having to you know click on or or tap on an item in the dock and drag it and put I'm it still in holding out that. for that with uh ios 13 when next yeah, time there's right? actually the ipad again right, a little more well i feel like yeah i feel like when they have take the ipad more seriously if they also are taking the keyboard uses of the ipad more seriously yep. that would be the perfect time to do it so maybe it'll happen maybe it'll happen then but yeah i um I, 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 even though as I'm, I'm an old school windowing, uh, arbitrarily, any size, any place kind of person, I have a hard time imagining that a future iOS with a big screen would just kind of give up and go back to running Mac Windows. Like, I, I just don't see them doing that. All right, so there you go, Johnny. There's two, okay. two great Enjoy. devices for you to make, you know. <laughs> We just sorted out the next 20 years or something. So 
go for it. It's, you can take those ones for free. Uh, maybe just send us one, you know, once you make it. That'd be great. Maybe we get in advance a little bit. That'd be lovely. Uh, if you'd like to find our show notes for this week, you can head on over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 204 or check them out in your podcast app of choice. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, maybe you would enjoy some of our other shows. Both me and Jason hosts host many, many podcasts here at Relay FM. Go to relay.fm slash shows and you can find uh, more of what we do. There's lots of great content there for you to check out. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. Uh, on Twitter, should people follow the uh, Six Colors Live account for the earnings, or is that are you gonna are you gonna do that? Yes, uh, we'll do that in some form tomorrow, um, Tuesday. Sorry, I should say because not mm-hmm. everybody listens on Monday. So if you it is not yet Tuesday afternoon Pacific, uh, you can follow uh, Six Colors events and, yeah. uh, and or just go and there'll be a Twitter embed on sixcolors dot com. Great, so you can check those out there because you got to, you know, when this is Tim, uh, we want to see when that's happening. And that's how you'll find out that it's Tim because uh, Jason and Dan will tell you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks so much to Green Chef, Pingdom, and Smile for their support of this show. But most of all, thank you for listening. Oh, Ask Upgrade will be back next week. Um, hashtag Ask Upgrade if you have any questions you'd like us to answer. And if you want to open the show, hashtag Snell Talk. The summer of fun rolls on, everyone. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. 